Well, we are on week number three of Seek, and uh, in this month, this is our opportunity. Many of you have been fasting, praying. This coming week, we have uh, different prayer times available at each of our campuses. I know in Spring Lake Park, there's evening prayer services this week, opportunities for you to worship the Lord, and there's opportunities for you to pray and seek the face of God, and we always have morning prayer in Spring Lake Park, and there's other opportunities in Maple Grove and Elk River. Of course, our prayer service on Wednesday night is our key meeting each week when adults come to pray and teenagers and kids have their times. But I want to just challenge you to keep seeking God's face. And of course, this has been Greater Faith Weekend, phenomenal time Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday morning, this morning. And then we'll have another service this evening where we'll have opportunity for worship, for the preaching of the word, and the altar. Everybody say the altar. Remember, the altar doesn't become special. It doesn't even become an altar until we bring our heart there. And you've got an opportunity to bring your heart, and I want to invite you to come back to Spring Lake Park campus. All of our campuses will be combined tonight for greater faith. Today, I want to get right to the point. Pastor Sam Reifkuckel is our guest speaker. He's a man of God, traveled for many years as an evangelist, then was called back to be a pastor at my home church in Grand Rapids, Michigan, where he has been pastoring for 11 years, and God is doing an amazing work through his ministry and what God is doing there. And we're kind of like two sister churches in that we've got an, uh, an illustrious history, many decades of God moving, but we both hunger for a present tense and a future move of God, something new and fresh in our churches, and he's the right person for the right time. Would you give it up for Pastor Sam as he comes to bring the word here at Emmanuel. Give him a great big Emmanuel welcome this morning. Love you, Pastor Nate. Love you, brother. All right, all you Jesus followers, come on. Let's give King Jesus the greatest clap offering and shout of praise we could give him in the house. Come on, I know you. Give him the best one you have. Father, we give it all to you. We bless you, Lord. Come on in and change our lives. Speak to us. Never let us be the same, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Lord. Woo. Whoa, my goodness. How many of you thank God he's in the house? Amen. Wow, so exciting to be here. I feel, man, I'm getting so high. I, I could hunt ducks with a rake. It's getting big in here. Amen. Lord is so good, everybody. Amen. I tell you, this is my, this is my first time to be here. Uh, here, you know, uh, I've spoken in this area up here before, but uh, how many, how many of you have never, never heard me before? How many have never heard me? Really? Well, well, I'm really good. And, uh, and I'm very humble, very humble man. No, I just, I tell you what, it's just a real joy to be here. You know, now I'm going to tell you that uh, today, uh, I just really feel like I do have a word from the Lord for you today. I really do. The only, the only hiccup I have whenever I go speak somewhere is that folks are so busy trying to analyze you and figure you out, and we only got like 30 minutes that, you know, you're going to blow past something really strong that God wants to give you because you're trying to figure me out. Like right now you're going, yeah, like what's up with the last name, you know? R-I-J-F-K-O-G. Couldn't they throw some vowels in there or something, man? You know, I mean, look at your name. I mean, when Pastor showed us your name. We thought he put the guest speaker's name in tongues is what we thought, you know? 
Well, let me give you a little back of that. So you'll just be at ease and you'll be comfortable with me. Okay, it's, it, my last name is pronounced Reifkogel, R-I-J-F-K-O-G-L, Reifkogel. And, uh, and it's a Dutch name, Dutch name. My father was a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, fair-complected Dutchman. Look just like him, don't I? Amen. And the brother up there in the balcony, he's looking at me going, what happened to you, man? Why you look that way? Well, the reason I look the way I look, it's because my mama is a little Chinese woman about that tall. And uh, she has the cute little slanted brown eyes. She's 87 years old. She's the church janitor, been church janitor for over 50 plus years. At back in my hometown in Garden City, Kansas, where the deer and the antelope play. Amen. And uh, so my mom, my mom is Chinese and my daddy's Dutch. And I know it's confusing to you, so I don't want to tripping you up the whole, the whole service. I don't want you tripping up, you know. So, because listen, I know you can be confused. I know how you feel because you ought to be me. Because how many know when you're, you know, when your mom is Chinese, you got an Asian culture over here and your daddy's Dutch, you got a European culture over here. How many know when your mom is Chinese and your daddy's Dutch? How many know? You are a confused child. You're a confused child. Because when your mama's Chinese and your daddy's Dutch, that produces children like me. The China Hutch. That's what happens to you. Amen. That's what happens. That's what happens. You should laugh harder, brother. I worked all night on that, on that joke. All night I worked on that. Laugh. Please laugh. Make me feel good. And I get it. I get it. I know. I get it. But you know, because some of you go, man, that is really wild, man. That's really messed up, you know. I get it. I understand it, you know, because that's the business God's into. I mean, look at me. I got this. I got this. Last time it looks like a disease. I got these slanted brown eyes. I love rice. Come on. How many of my Asian persuasion brothers in here love that rice? Amen. Yeah, come on. Amen, man. It's like steroids for you, man. It's good. I know it messes you up. It's a trip. I know it's a trip because, you know, my, you know, I got these eyes, look, you know, slanted brown eyes. And I got this dumb southern accent. You know, I'm all messed up. You know, I mean, it's weird. It's just, isn't it, isn't it odd? But let me just say something to you. Whether you've been in this church and you've been serving God since Hector was a pup, means a long time, or you are in here for the first time and you have no point of reference, you have no context for the service. In fact, this is blowing you away. In fact, this is probably the longest you've ever stayed awake in a religious service. And our words don't make sense to you and it, it, you just can't, you can't figure this out. Let me just explain something to you. If you walk away with anything, walk out with this, that this is the business God is into. He takes things that are so dysfunctional, so messed up, so fouled up and most of it's fouled up because you and I sin and we don't obey him but when you give to God all the mess up all the foul up all the sin can I tell you when you give it to him he turns it into this stuff that nobody else thought God could ever use and that's the reason why you see these people clapping and singing and lift your hands it's because God changed our lives can we give God praise for what he's doing in our lives everybody Come on, every campus, praise him for what he's doing in our lives. Amen. Woo, glory to God. Oh, I'm having a great time. I'm having a great time. Hey, listen, let me just say this too real quick. Uh, Pastor Nate is a dear friend of mine. His family, his mom and daddy, and he and Jody, you guys are exceptional, exceptional leaders. And let me just say this, okay? Uh, because some of you, uh, really, seriously, exceptional. 
Some of you think that this just happens. You know, campus is growing, renovations, regeneration of a church, it just happens. It doesn't just happen, okay? There's some of you mothers in here that your kids think that supper just happens. It doesn't just happen, does it? Somebody's got to work, somebody's got to go grocery store, somebody's got to cook it. it. Nothing just happens. Someone's intentional. So I'm going to say something to you that I'm going to tell you, I want you to listen to very closely. And I'm a pastor, but before I was a pastor for 21 years, I traveled in churches across the nation and I was in a different city, in a different church every week of my life for 21 years. Over 50 churches a year, different churches. And, and I'm going to tell you something, I'm telling you the truth on this, take my word for it. Whether you've been in church a long time or you just walked in. I will tell you that everything does rise and fall on leaders and it doesn't just happen. It happens because they're hearing from the Holy Spirit the best they can and they're helping God's people to cross the chasm to get where they're supposed to be. And I'm going to tell you, I've just been around here just a few days and I'm seeing, I'm watching, I'm engaging with folks in this church and I'm going to tell you something. I've been in churches across this nation and I'll tell you there are churches that would love to have this man and your wife as their leaders right now. Let me tell you why. Because what's happening in this place and the spirit you sense is not happening in their churches. They're spiraling down and they're not engaging an unsaved world anymore. And they would love to have this man and his wife right now. They take him. But friends, let me tell you something. How many know God sent him right here to Emmanuel for such a time as this? And I think we ought to give praise for the gift of this pastor and his wife. Amen. Give praise for him. Me and it. Give him praise. Give God praise for it. Amen. Go ahead. You go ahead and bless them. That's all right. Y'all go ahead and do that. You go ahead and stand. It's okay. Absolutely. It's absolutely. Amen. It's all right. It's all right. It's all right. You said, well, we're afraid we're going to give them the big head. Well, don't worry. Somebody will zing him around the corner, so don't worry about it. Love your pastors, folks. I'm telling you, you have no idea the demons that these folks have to fight for the behalf of this church in the city. No one knows it except the guy sitting in the chair. I'm serious, I'm serious, amen. Well, enough of that. Let's, not, let's get funny now. <sighs> okay. Hey, grab your Bibles. How many are ready for the Word of God today? You ready? I want you to turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 37, Genesis 37, and I want you to listen in a hurry, okay? And you're gonna have to get your pens going because I, I will promise you, listen to this, seriously. In 16 days, if you are not taking notes, in 16 days, you will have forgotten over 92% of what I've said. 92%. If you don't take a note, this stuff will be gone. In 16, in 16, 92% of it will be gone. So that's the reason why back in the back there's a resource table. I, I encourage you to go visit. There's some great stuff. I don't have time to get it. It's, it's just really, really good stuff. Let it grow in your spirit. So take notes. Listen to what the Spirit is saying to you. Amen? Because it's really, really good. So... So we're looking at this story, and uh, I want to talk to you about uh, a guy named Joseph. He's a foreshadow of Jesus Christ. And God gives this 17-year-old boy a dream, okay? And if you, suppose you don't know the Bible, God was showing him that he would become the prime minister of Egypt, and he's only 17 years old. Well, how many know it's tough to get a 17-year-old to put their mind around, I'm going to be a great leader one day? In fact, he gets a little cocky about it. And he sees grains, bundles of grain bowing for him, which his nations and his own family are going to bow to him one day. Sun, moon, and stars, he sees them bowing to him. Well, 
If you know Joseph, he's the guy with the coat of many colors. Almost everybody knows that story. And other brothers hated him because he had his coat of many colors. Well, then he comes out. Then he comes out and he tells his whole family that he has this dream, this dream, this dream. And when he comes out to tell everybody he has this dream, he doesn't come out humble going, oh, God spoke something to me, you guys, I want to share it with you. That's not how he came out. This is how the 17-year-old came out to his brothers who hated him already. He came out going, brothers, I had a dream last night. And all I can tell you is, you suckers are going to bow. <laughs> That's what happened. There were, some, there were some things. There's a lot of you that have great visions, but God needs to work the things off of you to bring you to that place. Well, now the story ensues. And the Bible says that the father sends the brothers to a place called Shechem to take care of, to uh, take the flock, the sheep to, to, to pasture. And little Joe, Joseph and he are sitting back there, Jacob and Joseph are sitting back there. And he tells little Joe, he says, I want you to go check on your brothers and report back to me. They're about a 10 day walking trip out. He says, come report back to me about what's happening. And they see him coming and they hate him because of what the dream he said and because he's being treated special. Now, if you would join me in that context and stand with me, I'm a little old-fashioned on this, okay? I'm a little old-school. I want you to stand with me as we read the Word of God together, okay? As he's coming down the way, Genesis 27 says, here's what happens. They see him and they hate him. Now, look at the story. So, when Joseph came to his brothers, watch, he's wearing the pretty little coat. They stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented, ornamented robe he was wearing. And they took him and threw him into a cistern. Look at the description. Now the cistern was empty and there was no water in it, nothing to sustain life. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. So here's the picture now. He's got this, and he doesn't understand the full capacity of it, but God shows him nations are going to bow to you. He just gets it, and his brothers hate him for it, and now they're mad, and they strip him of the clothes. They put him down in the pit, and now little Joe, who is the foreshadow of Jesus Christ, a picture of Jesus Christ, is there going, the dream's over. This is all a big joke. And how am I going to get out of this? How am I, I going to get out of this? What, what, I, it's over. It's over. It's over. And then God sends him a miracle, but he doesn't think it's a miracle, but it's a miracle. And guess what the miracle is to get him to his destiny? A caravan. A caravan. But he doesn't think it's a miracle. Now let me put it into context where you are right now. Some of you had visions that your marriage would be perfect and that it was going to be not like the last marriage. And now it's getting ready to divide and you're in this well and it seems like it's dead and dry and where is God? And you're in a well. Some of you are in this room and you're at retirement age and now you're looking and now your 401k is dried up. You have no money for retirement and you're looking, God, we've wasted all this money. I've made so many bad decisions and you're in a well. Some of you are sitting in this room and your child has told you, mom and dad, I'm going to go into my own lifestyle because I don't want to hear about your God or your Jesus. I'm doing my thing. And you're thinking you're a failure as a parent and you're sitting inside that well. 
Others of you are in this place and you got back from the Mayo Clinic and they said there's no other treatments, no experimental drugs, we're all done, we don't want to do. You got three months to live and you're in a well and you're saying, God, where are you? It seems like it's dead, it's dry, I don't know. Some of you are in this place right now and you're trying to serve Jesus and the addiction just keeps pounding you and pounding you and pounding you and you feel like you're in a well. And you say, is there any hope for me? Is the dream over that I have? Well, I got good news for you. Your caravan is coming. Come on, come on, say it with me. Say, say, my caravan is coming. Come on, my caravan is coming. You think it's over, but I'm telling you, God sent you here today to tell you, come on, my caravan is coming. Now look at your neighbor and say to them, say, your caravan is coming. Your caravan is coming. Now, I want you to look at the person on the other side and say this to them before you sit down. Say, but you're probably not going to like who's driving. Come on, tell them that, okay? Go ahead, tell them. Come on, tell them you're not going to like who's driving. Okay, high five your friend. Have a seat. Come on. Woo, this is good, isn't it? So here's the deal. If, if, if there's a couple of things I want you to walk away with. Out of this story, this is so powerful, folks, is I'm, I'm discovering something about God that he'll choose people that I would never, ever pick. I mean, I wouldn't even pick me for crying out loud. I know my own dysfunctions and my failures. I wouldn't pick me. But if you look at this story about you, anybody in this room, whether you don't even know Jesus Christ right now, or whether you just feel beat up because you failed, you feel like a failure as a parent, or you're not a good enough Christian and the devil's just beating you with condemnation, here's what I want you to get out of this story, first of all, is God uses the insignificant to achieve the significant. He's always looking people that are rejected to the side. He's, when, he's, when he's looking for a prime minister for Egypt that will deliver the Jews, and if the Jews aren't saved during this famine that's coming, and Joseph's not in his place, the Jews don't come, and Jesus won't come, because Jews will be off the face of the map. And God chooses a 17-year-old snot-nosed kid that he just can't control his mouth. And God is showing him that this is, the story is this, folks, is that God is always using things we would never suspect to do incredible things for God. Now, some of you may not believe this because you're walking here and go, yeah, well, I'm not much of a Jesus person, you know, and I'm not real religious or anything like that. And, you know, I, I wish my family, my marriage could be as good as pastors or somebody else there, but God would never do this with me. You don't understand all my failures and all my failures and marriages and all this on and on and on and on and on. You know, anytime I start thinking that God would not use the likes of something that seems so insignificant, here's what God reminds me of that what he'll use. I'm always reminded of this woman by the name of Jan. And I've had many conversations with Jan, and Jan, Jan was raised in Samadang, Indonesia, the, the largest Muslim population in the world. And Jan, would, she said she would tell me every morning she would walk in such, live in such poverty that the floor was dirt, and every morning she walked out the door of her house, she would cross the threshold of raw open sewage running in front of the house. She, she would, she would every, every day her parents would take her to, uh, her mother would take her to the Buddhist temple, and she would bow before a piece of wood whose eyes had no ability to see or hands couldn't heal, and she prayed before that, giving hope for her future and pray. Her, her, her father, Jan told me, her father practiced black magic. It was dark practices of demonology, so much so that one day he walked in the house with a little pouch, and he said, Dad, what is that? He says, this has been given me to by the witch doctor. It was dirt out of the mouth of a corpse. 
given to him and blessed by the witch doctor to give him prosperity. She said, I'll never forget the day when my little sister was only three years old, stepped out in front of the path of a, uh, of a Muslim priest in the middle of a parade, and he thought that her sister was disrespecting her, so he put a curse of death upon her. She said, the next morning I hear my parents screaming as my little sister laid on this little, little straw mat, and there she was, dead for no apparent reason, killed by a curse. They didn't have a prayer line to call. They didn't, couldn't come to churches that are on every corner in the Twin Cities. They, they had no church. It was just demonology. And then one day she happened to walk into this little Catholic school and she saw this man stretched on a stick with blood flowing from his side and his hands. And, and she couldn't understand, and people, she couldn't understand this concept of Jesus. But she said, I will never forget, Jan said, I'll never forget the day I was walking and I looked up in the stars and something spoke to me and said, Jan, there's something bigger and greater than that piece of wood you worship beyond the stars that is bigger and greater. She didn't know what it was. She couldn't explain it. Time and events went by and she married this man. Their marriage was dysfunctional. They were always fighting and arguing. But there was this one elderly man that kept coming. The next door neighbor kept coming to Jan and all her dysfunction, all the bondage, all the demonology. And Jan said, he'd come over every day and he'd try to tell me about Jesus, but I couldn't understand the concept of Jesus. And then, let me tell you, this is why God will tell me I do significant things through insignificant people. He says, here's what happened. She said, he invited me to come here, a preacher who was coming from the United States of America to come preach overseas. And he says, come here, this young preacher from America. So she went, sat up in the balcony of that soccer stadium, and that skinny young preacher from America began to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. This keeps me going. This keeps me going. She said, I didn't understand a word he said, but he gave this thing for people to come to Jesus, and he said these words. The preacher said, Jesus is going to come down, and he's going to meet you here at this altar. She said when he said that, in that one moment, she said all of a sudden a man in a flowing white garment suddenly appeared before me. She said, and I could hardly look at him, but she said, I knew who this was. She had a vision of Jesus Christ. She said, I didn't know how to pray. And he said, pray if you want Jesus. She said, I wanted Jesus. She said, I didn't know how to pray. And he said, I felt the man put his hand on my head. She said, Jesus, put it. And she said, I put my head down and I began to pray. And I said, Jesus, I repeated the prayer with the pastor. That young preacher, she said, all of a sudden, all the bondage, she said, I could feel it coming off of me. She had all the heaviness and darkness of spiritual darkness coming off of me. She said, I knew something had changed in my life. And she was born again in that one moment. You say, well, that's really precious. That's precious, for Jan. That's, that's precious, Pastor Sam. But what does that have to do with you believing that God could do this in me when I feel so insignificant? Let me tell you why I know. Because that little Buddhist girl that sat up in that balcony heard a preacher, and that young preacher in 1953 was Billy Graham, who came overseas to preach one night, and she happened to be sitting in that balcony. And that little Buddhist girl that sat up in that balcony that day happens to be the mother of the man who is preaching to you this morning. That was my mom, Jan Reifel, bound by demon spirits. Come on, but set free by the power of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you. God will do great things to you. Here she was, a little Buddhist girl bound by demon spirits and now full of Jesus Christ. She came to America with all of us. I was nine months old and I came to America. 1961, came on a boat. My mom and dad came to America, six kids, two suitcases, and the only two words they knew were yes and no. That was it. 
We went straight to Garden City, Kansas, sponsored by the Presbyterian Church. My mother came there with six kids, two suitcases, and people looked at her and said, you are crazy. She said, yes, we just happen to be in America. We just love, we're just on the journey with God. And, and, and can I tell you, from that moment that my mother got saved, she led my dad to Jesus Christ. And today, all seven of her children are serving God. Three of us are in the full-time ministry declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ. If God can do it for me, come on, he can do it for you. Come on, that's what he does. Look, when he's looking for a prime minister, he doesn't go to Yale or Harvard. He picks a 70-year-old snot-nosed kid and said, I can work with him. He'll just give his life to me. Come on, that's what God is into. When he's looking for the vessel to put the divine seed in that Jesus Christ could come, he doesn't pick somebody from a rich, affluent, religious family. He picks a girl in poverty, a 13-year-old girl by the name of Mary, and he puts the divine seed and Jesus comes forth. That's what he does all the time. When he wants to kill a thousand Philistines, he puts the jawbone of an ass in the hand of a backslider and kills a thousand enemies because he uses little things to do great things for him. Come on, when he wants to bring the gospel to humanity, guess what he does? The disciples, the apostles he picks, come on, he picks a murderer, he picks fishermen, and he picks a tax collector. Now come on, when IRS agents start preaching the gospel in America, how many know we're having revival? Come on, amen. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, sir, ma'am, I'm telling you, don't you let the devil use you as a format to wipe his feet that you'll never do anything great again, that you're too big of a sinner. I'm telling you, Jesus Christ is here to tell you that I will use the insignificant to do significant things for me if they'll just surrender their life. Can somebody give God some crazy praise in this house? Woo! You ready for another one? So here you are in a well. God wants to use you. Here's what you need to know. Some of you had a dream and it seems crushed, but let me tell you what's happening. Before your dream goes to its destiny, it will go to the desert first. A place where there's no water, nothing to sustain life, and all that exists is you and God, period. I mean, look what God does. He takes an insignificant shows them something significant that they're going to do. And then he takes their dream and he sends it to spiritual marine boot camp. Hoo-ah. And he strips everything off of it till all that is found is them in God. I don't get this. This is the part that I struggle with the most because I've been through it and I'll probably go through it again. But here's what God does. He gives you a dream and then he strips it. I don't understand it. He speaks to a, he speaks to a kid that he's going to be the prime minister and nations will bow and then he puts him in a pit. I don't get it. He tells a David you're going to be a king and anoints him and then has him running for his life because there's a guy throwing spears at him and he's out in the wilderness wandering, trying to find his destiny in God. I don't get it. He gets up and all of a sudden out of heaven it says this is my son and who am I well pleased and then puts him friends puts him into a wilderness and then puts him on a cross I don't seem to understand that but I'm getting it more and more why does it seem like the moment God reveals something to me all hell breaks loose why and I think I have a little insight to all these individuals especially Jesus Christ this is my son and well pleased but then you find him in a garden and I think this is the words he's wanting out of you and me is that we lay it all down and we're stripped of everything only us and God in a well 
no banker to get you out, no counselor to pull you out of this one, and you're in a prayer closet alone with God saying, God, I don't know what to do. I've sought all the counseling. I've heard all the messages. I've been to every doctor. I've been to everything, God. And now it's just you and God until you're finally saying this. Not my will, God, but yours. I'm going to take my attitude and my will and what I think you ought to do, God, and the way I think you ought to be responding. I'm going to pull it out of the way and say, not my will, God. I'll do whatever you want. I believe that that's what God is wanting. He's wanting to remove your fingerprints and my fingerprints off of anything he does through the business, anything he does through the marriage, anything he does through the church. He pulls your fingerprints off so that all people can see is the handiwork of God. And you have to say, it was God who brought me out. It was God who gave me the dream. And it was God who brought me to my destiny. Come on, how many believe he wants his will over everything else? So some of you are there, okay, some of you are there. You're like Joseph, you're in that well. You just got laid off from your job. You're just wondering, how are we gonna make it, God? You're in that well, he said, where's God, pastor? Well, I got news for you. Your caravan is coming. But here's what you gotta have a revelation about your caravan. The caravan is driven by someone you don't like. Now, let me just set in here for a moment. The caravan is usually driven by someone you have issues with to produce something out of you that needs to be produced. Let's go back to the story for a moment. When you look at the story, the Bible is so descriptive that it would even identify who the people were that picked him up and where they came from. This is all important stuff. Watch this. It says that these, this band of people that bought him and would take him down to be sold as a slave to Potiphar, it says their names, they were the band of Ishmaelites. Now, what does that mean? They are called the Ishmaelites because they are the descendants of a man by the name of Ishmael. And Ishmael was the son of a woman by the name of Hagar. Hagar was the servant woman to a woman by the name of Sarah. Sarah was married to a man by the name of Abraham, who God said would make the father of many nations, but he's a hundred years old and he hadn't had kids yet. And God says, you're going to be the father of many nations. And God says, I'm going to produce children through your 90-year-old wife and your hundred-year-old body. Now, come on. How many of you know, how many of you know that when you're a hundred years old and think you're going to have babies, you are a visionary? Yes, you are. Now, uh, sir, I see you over there not responding at all, but let me tell you, I don't see you pulling it off, old man. I don't see you pulling it off. You're not pulling it off. Watch this. So you know the story. God tells him they're at a well. Their bodies are dead. They cannot produce this. It takes God, only his fingerprints. But here's what we do. We want to get to the destiny and do it our way. So Sarah goes and tells Abram, Abram, I have a wonderful idea. Here's how we can do God's promise. Here's what I want you to do. Here's my maid. I want you to go have sex with my maid. You go have wild sex night with my maid. You go right ahead and come back and we'll have, we'll have God's promise. Okay. Ladies, does anybody in here have a problem with that? Please raise your hands. Thank you. I'd have to change my whole sermon if you don't have a problem with that. 
If your wife says, go have wild sex, man, with the lady next door, go have wild sex with our housekeeper, she says, go have wild sex with this woman and produce the promise. Well, you know she has babies, she has Ishmael. Well, guess what? Then God opens up Sarah's womb divinely, no fingerprints from man. God opens up her womb, makes his seed come alive, and they produce that promised child, Isaac. They produce the promised child, and now you have two women that both have children, and let me tell you something. Brothers, you cannot live in a house where there are two women in control. Seriously, come on. I have scriptural proof that you should never invite your mother-in-law to move in with you. I have scriptural proof. I do. It's, it's in the Bible. No man can serve two masters. There, it's there, I'm telling you. Don't laugh, brother. You'll be taking a cab home. She's sitting right beside you. Do not laugh, brother. She's right there with you. Watch this. Watch, watch, watch. The friction's in the house. The friction's out. I'm trying to show you something. I'm trying to show you something. That caravan is driven by people you don't like. Watch. The friction's in the house, and now Sarah's saying, you get that woman and her child out of here. And guess what happens? The tension is so much that Abram takes Hagar and Ishmael, puts them out in the desert, a place with no water, gives them nothing but a happy meal in a biggie-sized Coke and says, you are on your own, and walks away. Now, when this happened to Hagar and Ishmael, Ishmael was not a three-year-old kid or a baby cradled in your arms that he has no memory. He is a teenage boy, and now he watches the man who he bonded with, took him hunting, patted him on the back, said, you're my boy, and now he puts him out there and doesn't send him a card for Christmas, doesn't send him a card for birthday, doesn't show up to graduation, sends his mother no child support, and boots him and his mom out the door. Now, I'm going to tell you, when you're 17 years old or a teenager and your father does that to you, you have anger issues and you want to get back at the man that did that to you and your mama. Watch. The Ishmaelites are coming out of that kind of wound. And now here a band of Ishmaelites come and there are these boys waving around saying, hey, we got a slave for sale for you. What's his name? Joe. Well, little Joe. Listen, it wasn't that long. I promise you, those within the Middle East know their heritage and their lineage. Well, look at you, you little Joe. Well, we know you, little Joe. We know your great-grandpa. Your great-grandpa is Abraham. Little Joe, your papa slept with our Mima and then booted her out of the house along with Ishmael and took us, and he thinks he's a man that's going to have a promise. Well, guess what? They, they know exactly what's going on here, folks. And the Bible says they took him, and they put him on the caravan, and it says, descriptive, they took him down. You're not headed toward the promise. We're going to take you the opposite direction to Egypt, as far away from the promise and the dream that God gave you. Can I tell you many times, when God is taking you to your destiny, so many times it looks like I'm going further away from it, and I'm going down. Well, let me tell you something. In God's kingdom, inside is out, and up is down. Can I tell you, if you want to be the master, you got to be the servant. It's an upside, inside out world. And look what God does. He puts them on a caravan driven by somebody he doesn't like going the wrong direction. The reason why so many believers never feel their destiny in God is because you're hopping off the caravan because you won't stay on it when it's driven by somebody you don't like who's offended you. When God's trying to produce something out of you that nobody else can produce out of you.
You say, Pastor, what in the world are you talking about? Look at it, it's the scripture. If God wants to deliver David, what does he do? He does it through the son of his worst enemy, Jonathan, King Saul, his son. When you see the woman caught in adultery, guess who delivers her? A prophet by the name of Jesus who's supposed to stone her, but he delivers her. And look what happens for Joseph. He is being delivered, and they don't even know it. He doesn't know it, but his enemy is getting to his destiny. You say, Pastor, I just don't understand that. What I'm trying to tell you is all the trouble and the hassle you're going through, quit giving the devil so much credit for the hell you're in right now. He's not that smart. He's not that smart. You say, what are you talking about? You see, what I really believe is that adversity and enemies can produce something out of me that my friends will never produce in me. Because my friends are so interested in telling me how wonderful I am that sometimes they won't tell me the flaws that they see are glaring because they don't want to be rejected by me. But I will tell you one thing. How many of you ever noticed an enemy has no problem telling you what's wrong with your flaws? How many of you work with somebody that has no problem pointing out when you make a mistake? Yeah, both, brother with both arms and one leg up back there. Amen. I'm telling you. But you know what? Enemies will identify what's in you because it may be the very thing. And so many believers are jumping off the, the wagon, going from job to job, jumping from church to church to church, because that church is just like the last 56 we have visited this year. Jumping from relationship to relationship. You know what? Some people in the church, some Christians don't need another spiritual gift. What some of them need is a good dose of trouble to identify their flaws, to get them to where they need to be with Jesus. I have folks come up and say, well, if I was the pastor, this is what I'd have done. I said, I got a, I got a word for you. Don't ask for my anointing and don't ask for my position until you're willing to fight the demons. I got to fight to protect this church and to reach the city. When you're ready to take on my demons, then you can have my position. And I want to hear what you think the way the church ought to be run. I want to be like Bishop Jakes. I want to be like Bishop Jakes. Get ready, get ready. I want to be like Bishop Jakes. Don't ask for Bishop Jakes anointing until you're willing to fight the devils he had to fight to get to where he is. Don't ask for it until you're willing to take it on. Don't ask for their anointing until you're willing to take it. Well, I can't believe my parents did that. My parents, I, tell, I just can't believe it. I can't wait till I move out of this house. I turn 18, I get out. Good motor scooter. We're waiting for you to move on too. Don't ask for your parents' anointing until you're willing to take on the responsibilities of weeping and crying for you, paying the bills, putting a roof over your house. When you're ready to take on their demons, then you tell us how you think the house ought to be run. Seriously. Everybody wants to be promoted. Everybody wants the position. But until you're willing to get on the caravan driven by people sometimes you don't like, can I tell you, friends, it's time to get on the caravan. You say, why does God do this? Here's the reason why. Because muscle only comes when there's resistance against it. Only the friction of the wind can take the kite higher. If there's no friction of the wind fighting against the kite, it can't go higher and higher and higher and higher. Advancement comes from, a produce, from adversity. Struggle, my friends, produces strength. What I'm trying to tell you is that God has always used an enemy to get you higher to the next place. For Mordecai and Esther, he used a demonic man called Haman, the first contemporary of a, of a Hitler. For Jesus, he sent him a Judas so he could go to the cross and die so that we could be saved. What I am trying to tell you is hell is not in charge of your destiny. In Jesus you live. In Jesus you move. In Jesus you have your being. And the steps of the righteous are ordered by God, friends. Ordered by God. 
Nothing is out of step with God. Whew. Okay, I'm coming in for a landing. All right. Here's one thing that I want you to walk away with. And I've given you so many things. When the caravan comes, the timing of the caravan seems lousy. You're going, of all the times for this to happen to us, how many have ever said this? Of all the times, how many have ever done that? Can I tell you that the caravan and its timing is an instrument in the hand of God to bring you to what God has called you to do and to be? I'm, gonna, I'm just going to drop this in here. Ma'am, let me just say this. You feel like you're in this well and there's just, God, where are you? If you love me, why? I want you to hear this. There is not a demon in this universe, not Lucifer himself, that can keep you in a well one second longer when God says, I want her to move to the next, the next level. Not a demon in this world. Not a demon in this world. When you surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, my, my brother, can I tell you, there's not a devil that can keep you in that despair one second longer when God says it's time for them to get on the caravan and move to their destiny. Okay, let me, let me prove this to you. I, you gotta, you gotta, I talk fast and loud when I excite. I talk slow when I educate. So I want you to get this, okay? Now watch this. There's something about the timing of this that you need to see. Okay, so the whole family lives in Hebron. This is going to be Hebron right here. The father tells the boys, go to Shechem. Little Joe, you stay here with me. Keep your pretty coat on and drink lemonade with umbrellas in it, and you stay with me. <laughs> Shechem is the pulpit. It's about a 60-mile trip. It's not completely accurate, but it'll prove the same point. 60 miles, 10-day walk. They go. What they don't know is that there's not enough pasture there, so they go on to Dothan. So these boys are now in Dothan, which is now another 20 miles. So we've got, we've got a total of 80 miles. This is going to be right here. This is going to be Dothan. The father tells little Joe. He said, little Joe, your brother's over in Shechem. Go report to me what they're doing. So go to Shechem. So little Joe is walking 60 miles to Shechem. He arrives at Shechem. The guy says, your brother's moved on to Dothan. It's another 20 miles. So we've got 80 miles, okay? Watch this. Now, the caravan driven by people you don't like came from Gilead, and that's a whole other story about Gilead. So this is going to be Gilead. Gilead was about 40 miles from here to Dothan where they would pick up Joseph, take him down, but he would become prime minister to, uh, to preserve the lineage of the Jews. So they've got to come 40, and he's got to come 80. Here's my point. When little Joe was back in Hebron, he's not even gotten to Shechem. But in order for them to be in the right place at the right time for him to ultimately get to his destiny, everybody had to be in perfect sync, in perfect timing, or we'd miss the whole thing. That means that when little Joe's foot hit the 40-mile marker, God had to make a group of Ishmaelites, his enemies, get moving at the same time to coordinate so they're hitting at the right time to get to the destiny. And my point is this. When his foot hit the 40-mile marker, God already released the answer to his destiny. He released it even before the problem existed. He wasn't in the well. He wasn't sick yet. The finances hadn't run out. The divorce hadn't happened. The breakup and dysfunctional family hadn't occurred yet. But listen to him. 
The, the miracle was already on the way before he even arrived. You say, what is your point, pastor? What's your point here? My point is this, is that Isaiah 65 says that God has already answered his people before they start calling out to him. The people of God who love him, Jesus says, my father, your father already knows what you need, sir, before you even hit the altar. He's already on the way with the answer. How many of you thank God the steps of righteous people are really ordered of God? Timing is perfect. You say, Pastor, I just feel like the devil's running this whole family. I'm telling you, if you surrender all of this to the Lord in humility and you give it all to God, I am telling you that there's not a demon that can keep you there one second longer when God says it's time to move on. He said, but I feel like the devil's in control. Let me put it to you this way. When my kids were growing up, we'd take them in the car and they'd get real restless in the car. How many have a little two or three-year-old that does that, gets restless in the car? So you got to give them something to occupy them. Well, back when I was raising kids, they had these things you could snap onto the car seat, and it was like a little fake car dash. How many remember that? It's got the little plastic steering wheel and a little squeaky horn. Quick, 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 quick. You know, it's got the little blinker switch on it. And so your kids go, ah, and then all of a sudden you put this little plastic steering wheel, a little squeaky horn with a little fake blinker switch, you know, big old steering wheel. And all of a sudden you hand it to your kid and they're just happy as can be. And they think, and now they're making motor sounds with the car. And then they think they're turning the car. And they're queek, queek, queek. And here's your little three-year-old toothless little grin, slobber, and they just think they're in control. But you're over there going, uh, the father is really driving this thing. I'm the one putting it, and look at this goofball over here. God, I hope this child grows up. Can I tell you what has happened to you right now? Satan is not in control of your destiny. He is not in charge, but here's what God has done. He has given him a little plastic steering wheel and a little squeaky little horn. And if you'll just look over right now, you'll see that he's got this tooth of grin drool coming out his face, but you got a heavenly father saying, hey, listen, I got you on this. I got your care of it. I'm making the right turns and the left turns. I'm speeding up, I'm slowing down. The steps of my people are ordered by God. There's so many of you in this room that you almost allowed the enemy to lie to you. But God brought the caravan of this message to tell you, I've got you covered. No matter how tough the caravan is and it seems it's going the wrong direction, you surrender to me because I'm taken to your place of destiny. And this is a big deal. Don't get off the caravan. This is a big deal. If he would have gotten off the caravan, folks, if they wouldn't have met at the right time, if he'd have gotten off the caravan, let me tell you what would have happened. It means that he'd have never become prime minister, it means he'd have never preserved the lineage of the Jews during a famine. They'd have died. It means that Jesus Christ would have never come. It means there would have been no Christmas for us. It means there would have been no crucifixion for us. It means there would have been no resurrection for us. It means there would be no Mel Gibson Passion of the Christ movie. It's all gone. It's all gone. It's all gone. But how many believe in God we live, we move, and we have our being? My steps are ordered by God. Come on, let's give him praise. He's got us in his hand. He's got us in his hand. He's got us in his hand.